I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Vaxitec first gained attention as co-inventor of the COVID-19 vaccine licensed to AstraZeneca. The University of Oxford spin-out is developing a pipeline of T-cell immunotherapies to treat and cure chronic infectious diseases, autoimmune diseases, and cancers. The company's lead experimental therapy is a potentially curative monotherapy for chronic hepatitis B viral infection. We spoke to Bill Enright, CEO of Vaxitech, about the company's platform technologies, how they work, and how they enable the development of more effective immunotherapies. Bill, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Listeners may be familiar with Vaxitech from the work it did with AstraZeneca to bring a COVID-19 vaccine to market. We're going to talk about Vasitech's pipeline of T-cell immunotherapeutics to treat and cure chronic infectious diseases, autoimmune diseases, and cancer. How does a vaccine differ from an immunotherapeutic, if at all? No, thanks. So the, uh, typically, you think of a vaccine as, as being protective. So it uh, generated an antibody response, which uh, you know protects or prevents the body from getting infected with a bacteria or a virus or something like that. And, and uh, the immunotherapeutics uh, actually are are uh, treative. So you're um, you're treating diseases after you already have them. So chronic infectious diseases, like we're involved in with hepatitis B or or uh, HPV infections, or in in the event of cancer, in mutated cells. In terms of identifying antigens to train the immune system on, is the approach the same for a vaccine versus a therapeutic? Yes, it's very similar. You're trying to maintain, uh, um, you know, uh, uniqueness, right? So you're trying to uh, to get uh, antigens that the body will recognize, the immune system will recognize, and and that's very similar. Now, they, there's slight differences, and if you're developing a vaccine, you you want antibody responses, and so the antigens may be more geared towards uh, towards uh, the antibodies. Uh, and in the event of, um, of the therapeutics that we're working on, uh, you're going after T-cell epitopes. So you, you, there may be some uh, little variances as a result of that. But uh, for the most part, we try and use you know, full-length uh, proteins. Vaxitech is not only pursuing infectious diseases and cancer, but autoimmune diseases as well. In an autoimmune disease, I, I think of the challenge being quieting down the immune system rather than revving it up. How would an immunotherapy for an autoimmune disease work? So you're just you're revving up a different part of the immune system. So in in the event of uh, uh, when you're looking at, at cancer or um, in chronic infectious diseases, you're trying to ramp up the the CD8 par, uh, positive T cells. So that's the part of the immune system often called killer T cells. They recognize the infected or mutated cells and destroy them. 
in, in immune tolerance or uh, <clears throat> what you're trying to do is ramp up the T regs. And, and that's part of the, the T cell system that dampens the immune system. Once you've identified one or more antigens to properly activate the immune system, use mRNA to code for these and deliver them through two vectors. You're using a modified chimpanzee adenovirus for a prime treatment and then boosted with a modified vaccine, Ankara vector, for booster doses. Why do you use different vectors for the prime and the booster? Yeah, so, so many people may be familiar with this from the COVID-19 work that was done. And, and what, uh, what they showed during that, and, and actually our, our scientific co-founders have showed for the last 20 years they've been working on this, uh, is that if you, if you use different platforms, you actually are able to stimulate uh, slightly different immune responses. And so um, we come in with the, um, the chimp adenovirus. Uh, and uh, and deliver that prime, and then come back with the second virus, the pox virus or MVA, and and deliver the boost. And and our scientific co-founders at the University of Oxford, uh, Adrian Hill and Sarah Gilbert, really spent about 20 years looking at this and looking at different combinations of different viruses platforms, of mRNA platforms and DNA platforms, protein platforms, and different combinations. And they really tested this empirically in phase one clinical studies and, and showed that this combination of, uh, of different viral platforms, the adenovirus first, followed by the MVA, gives you the highest magnitude and longest duration uh, T-cell response. You also have a separate platform technology you call SnapFax. What does this technology do and how do you use it? So the SnapX was a, a really clever technology developed by some outstanding chemists at Johns Hopkins University and the NIH in Bob Cedar's lab. And it's really designed to mimic the adenovirus, uh, in, it, uh, although synthetically. So instead of a, a live virus, um, they're doing this uh, through chemistry. And they did a great job in developing this system uh, it's a, a self-assembling peptide nanoparticle technology uh, that allows you to incorporate the antigens of interest, but but also link it with uh, immunomodulators. So if you're going after cancer indications, uh, you can you can use immunomodulators like TLR78 agonists, which help to stimulate the CD8 positive T cells that I was mentioning. And if you're going after uh, immune tolerance indications. You can add things like taurins or rapamycin, which help to stimulate the Tregs that I was talking about. So it's very complementary to our existing technology platform. You can use it in combination uh, or alone. Given the broad potential of the technology, how do you go about prioritizing the indications you'll pursue? Yeah, so we're going after um, significant areas of unmet medical need. Right. So uh, the indications in, in hepatitis B, there are more than 300 million people chronically infected around the world with hepatitis B, almost 300 million women infected with human papillomavirus. Um, you know, so significant market opportunities here uh, where we have the potential to treat uh, large numbers of patients and where we think T cells are going to be important to their cure. So that's one of the key things as well. Well, let's talk a little more about hepatitis B. How does the condition manifest itself and progress? Right. So, so hepatitis B is often ca called the silent killer. So many people don't even know they have it for long periods of time. So 
and uh, in, in many people actually cure the disease naturally. So about 90 to 95% people that get infected with hepatitis B, their body takes care of it, never even knew they had it. It's 5 to 10% of people that get chronically infected with hepatitis B that sometimes go on to develop further complications. So as I mentioned, you know, almost 300 million or over 300 million people chronically infected, uh, about almost a million people die every year from cirrhosis and cancer of the liver. So it, it usually manifests itself through, you know, very similar um, symptoms to flu, actually. So you get uh, fever, abdominal pains, uh, things like that. Uh, that, um, that end up bringing you to uh, to a physician to look at. We've seen tremendous success in treating hepatitis C and even curing it. What does the hepatitis B landscape look like, and does this pose greater challenges to treat? Well, uh, I think the hepatitis C um, market was a fantastic win for the pharma industry and uh, um, showing that we can really um, – you know, bring a cure to a, a very tough disease. And, and hepatitis B is much like that. And I think uh, many in the field will will say that uh, it may be even a little bit tougher to to cure and that it, it also will require a, a multifaceted approach. So we're, we're looking at a number of different uh, ways to try and go after this, but a lot of progress is being made right now. Is your expectation that your therapy would be used in combination with other therapies? There, there is that potential. So we're evaluating uh, VTB300, our, uh, our product candidate for a potential functional cure in hepatitis B, uh, either alone uh, or in combination with other therapies. So, you know, typically right now, patients, uh, when they're diagnosed as having a, a chronic HPV infection, they get put on nucleosides or nucleotides, so basically daily antivirals that they have to take. It doesn't cure the disease normally. Uh, it's a, a very low cure rate, maybe one to two percent. So, um, but uh, uh, so we're using it in combination with that. But a functional cure is is really defined as is trying to get people off of those nukes, uh, get them off their antivirals. Uh, for for a period of at least six months, and so we're we're looking at uh, combining with things like uh, checkpoint inhibitors uh, because we know that in in HPV and chronic HPV patients they have T cell exhaustion, very similar to what happens in oncology. And in fact, these these checkpoint inhibitors were actually discovered in in uh, infectious disease and not oncology, and so. Um, uh, we can use really low doses of the checkpoint inhibitor, so you don't have the same side effects that you see in in the oncology indications. And and we're also looking at other things that uh, that will potentially disrupt the the, um, the viral replication, such as uh, siRNAs. And and those uh, folks like Arbutus and and others have been working on. And they've gotten very good responses in, in decreasing the uh, surface antigen, which is the biomarker of, of the hepatitis B uh, activity. Uh, and the, the problem is, is once you stop giving those therapies, um, that surface antigen level starts bouncing back. And, and what we've seen in, with VTB300 is with a single dose, um, we're able to decrease the surface antigen levels uh, for up to nine months with a single injection. So it's uh, it's the only uh, uh, 
molecule that we're aware of where you're able to see that sustained reduction in surface antigen. You mentioned your lead experimental therapy, VTP300. What is it and how does it work? So again, it's it's using this prime boost approach. So we're, we take the, the major proteins of, of uh, the HBV virus and use those as antigens. Uh, so they're uh, um, incorporated into both the adenoviral vector as well as the MVA vector. And then you treat as a, a prime boost. Um, and uh, it, again, trying to stimulate the, the body's immune system to recognize these antigens. And, and we're using that in combination uh, with the checkpoint inhibitors that I mentioned, as well as siRNAs and various combinations to try and see if we can uh, provide a functional cure here. What's known about it from studies that have been conducted to date? So, uh, so far, the, the data look uh, promising. Um, so we released data at AASLD last fall, and we'll have additional data uh, at uh, ESL in June and uh, with our first in man study. And, and as I mentioned, so th this is the first immunotherapy that actually showed a reduction in surface antigen. Uh, so we, we, it, as a monotherapy, we got about a half log reduction in surface antigen. Uh, in combination with low-dose checkpoint inhibitor, we got almost a log reduction in surface antigen. And, and again, as I mentioned, the, the, uh, the key thing here is uh, those reductions in the patients that responded, those reductions um, lasted out to nine months, which is the last time point we tested. And what's the development path forward? So we're, we're still trying to get um, uh, uh, to show functional cure. As I said, you, you, what we'd like to do is to be able to take those patients that responded and, and have um, no detectable levels of surface antigen and take them off their nucleosides to see if whether they, they stay down. And, uh, and so that wasn't part of the original um, clinical trial, uh, but we've got two ongoing phase two clinical trials where that is part of the protocol and, and we hope to demonstrate that. So we'll have some interim data uh, from both of those phase two clinical studies later this year. And we'll have uh, additional data from those studies uh, sometime uh, middle of the next year. Vaxitech has had the benefit of royalties and milestone payments from AstraZeneca from its COVID-19 vaccine, but your R&D costs are rising as demand for the vaccine wanes. How far will existing cash take you, and what's the plan for funding the development of your Right, so uh, we in our 10Q that we announced last week, uh, we had a $191 million of cash, and, and that takes us uh, almost through the first quarter of 2025, and that's funding you know, we've got um, nine active programs, including the, the Vaxevria, the licensed vaccine. So uh, we, we do continue to get royalties from that, although much reduced. Uh, so um, we will continue to, uh, to push these programs forward aggressively and, and hopefully be able to utilize uh, key milestones over the next two years uh, to then do some additional fundraising to continue to move these uh, promising programs forward. Bill Enright, CEO of Vaxitech. Bill, thanks so much for your time today. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. 
To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.